Well, welcome to the latest edition of Infection Control Matters. Today, I'm joined by uh, some special guests, and uh, I'll introduce uh, those uh, two guests in a moment. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about a paper that's called eHealth for the Prevention of Healthcare-Associated Infections, a Scoping Review. This paper has just been recently published in the Journal of Hospital Infection, and today we're joined by a couple of the authors for this paper, which I'm very excited about. Something we've been wanting to do for some time on this podcast. One of our guests today is Dr. Robert Benvelson, and Robert's a medical doctor and clinical microbiologist at Amphira Hospital, among other hospitals, and the Leiden University Medical Center, the Netherlands. And I do apologize in advance for my pronunciations. Uh, being Australian, my English is terrible, um, so apologies in advance. Uh, Robert is a PhD candidate with a focus on infection prevention and control with the use of innovation and e-health through patient and clinical staff involvement. And of course, um, uh, Robert's been involved in COVID, like everybody in infection control and related fields, and also works on fungal infections. So welcome, Robert, to, to this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, we're also joined by Ender Holton, and Ender is in the final stages of a medical uh, final stages of medical school at Leiden University Medical Center, currently finishing his clinical rotations, and I think it's just come off some night duty. <laughs> so um, Ender's uh, still finding his way in the world of medicine, he says, and has a deep interest in internal medicine, e-health, and m-health, and hopefully we can get him involved in infection prevention and control as well. Um, that's that's the idea. We want more people in this field with, with a lot more diversity. So welcome, Ender, as well. Good morning, Brett. And I think the chip is already sealed. I think I'm already uh, really involved with infection prevention. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, thank you both. And um, the, so the article, uh, as I mentioned, really was an interesting article, caught, caught my eye. And it was a scoping review on, on e-health and apps. But I'm not going to talk about it because that's what we've got you two to talk about. So, Robert, do you want to kick off and just tell us, you know, the sort of background of this paper? What did you what did you do? Sure. Well, obviously, for this audience, I don't need to uh, elaborate on uh, healthcare related infections, um, which are still a major burden. And as a clinical microbiologist in the Netherlands, we are uh, involved in infection prevention and control. Uh, so as I was doing my rotations in the infection prevention uh, units, we had a lot of trainings uh, and education for staff going on. And at the same time, there was a competition for trying to think of an innovation for healthcare. So it's called Hacking Health, which actually kicked off our, our project to create an e-health intervention for infection prevention. Uh, that's where it all started. And uh, obviously, to start out, we wanted to uh, get an overview of what is available and what we could use in our own uh, setting in the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands. And, well, we found out there wasn't a lot uh, for, for data monitoring, for surveillance there was, but not for the real implementation, education, training. And to do this more uh, structured, we decided to do a review and not of uh, e-health intervention, but specifically of apps. Excellent. We see a lot of um, apps being used. So this is certainly something that's uh, quite imaginative at the moment and something that's quite topical. So you, you did a review of apps. What did that involve? Well, to start out, the apps are not structured like uh, medical articles. So we don't have a PubMed for, for e-health uh, apps 
So uh, that's where the collaboration with uh, Ender uh, started out. Ender, the medical student, well, he can elaborate on it himself, but we, we tried to find out uh, which systems are available to systematically review the apps. Uh, there are several guidelines we used, uh, for example, the MARS um, uh, to review the quality of the apps. And we were inspired by uh, an article uh, of Schnall et al, two researchers from uh, New York, which um, reviewed the apps in 2014 and 2015. And they found there were a lot of apps mentioning infection prevention or, or terms related to infection prevention. But when you narrow it down, only a, a handful of apps remain of, of decent quality. Also, we combined our search strategy with strategies uh, being used in, for example, cardiology. So we uh, found the Sarasa cardiology uh, scraper, uh, which is used to uh, structure uh, cardiology-related uh, e-health interventions. We decided to give this a thorough systematic uh, review um, of the apps. So that's where we uh, started building a scraper. Yeah, it's an interesting term, that scraper. You know, I wasn't really familiar with it until I read the article and then went and explored it a bit more. One thing that really impressed me, and congratulations to to the team, is for something that's quite difficult to do, something that's um, difficult to do systematically, I think you, you managed to do that particularly well, given, you know, there isn't really strong guidelines on how to do this type of stuff out there. So this scraper, um, just describe, what, what do you mean by scraper and how does that work? I think I can elaborate on that. Yeah, thanks, um, Ender. So... Like Robert said, and what you actually put in the quite on the head, is that it's very hard to systematically collect applications. Um, what we found in other researches, other uh, app store reviews, as they're called, uh, we found that people just opened up their phone, entered in a search term, and started scrolling, just writing, writing everything that they saw. And the thing with those uh, app search engines is that every time you uh, type something in, uh, if you do it, let's say you do it this morning and then this afternoon, you might get two separate sets of results. Uh, it's very volatile what you might get. So what we decided uh, is, should, uh, would we be able to make a program, which is basically just another search engine, however, one we have some more control over. So that's what we made. We made an application named Talos. And what it does is you can enter one search term and you can provide a region in which it's supposed to search. Why is that? That's because if you, um, if you, Brett, in Australia type in a search term and if I do the same in the Netherlands, we are going to get different sets of results. So those are all specifications a user is able to enter. And what that does is um, it starts searching for a while. It's not the fastest program, but that's because you have to query two different sets of databases. And in the end, you will be provided with a data set uh, which you can import in uh, Microsoft Excel or something else, uh, a database program of your preference, uh, with all this this huge data set with the names of the application, the description as listed in the App Store, uh, but also important data as when was it updated last. That way you can filter which apps are deprecated, which are not, which not only saves a lot of time for people wanting to do an App Store review, but also provides them a way of um, getting a more systematic, more direct approach which is less prone to A, bias, and B, user error. So you did this review, you scraped to, to find out all this information about what apps are available, pull some key information out there. You ended up, I think, with 28 different apps that uh, were included <laughs> in your study, if I remember correctly. Um, 
what what types of apps were these and what were they doing? What did you find out about these HIA apps? Uh, well, there are several types, you know, was, um, some that f- fit the criteria uh, were apps aimed at, um, well, they were just journal apps. So you could easily find guidelines and artic- recent articles and that sort of stuff. Uh, but the more interesting ones, in my personal opinion, uh, were applications such as the EVS uh, applications, which are aimed at uh, environmental service employees or env- environmental uh, service technicians, which were uh, fully featured training apps with, with, with scoring systems and a competitive element, which on all ends seem to not only educate their users, but also stimulate them in promoting uh, safe, um, well, safe working environments. Fantastic. That's a great example. And you sort of looked at um, the quality, I guess, is how I would describe these apps, for want of a better term, and, and not being familiar with, with this sort of terminology. And you, you alluded to a couple of assessments, and one of those was the Mars assessment tool. Now, I think of Mars either as a planet or you know something I'd eat. But what is this Mars assessment tool, and what's the value of that when you're trying to assess apps? Robert, do you want to elaborate on that one? Yeah, sure. The Mars is sort of like the standard in, in e-health research for evaluating uh, e-health uh, interventions based on five domains. So engagements, functionality, aesthetics, information, and well, the fifth, uh, Ander, please help me on this. We did not score the fifth because it was not uh, applicable to the e-health uh, for infection prevention. Yeah, the the thing with the fifth is that it's app specific. So then you want to see which health related behavior they want to improve. Um, however, health related behavior often refers to either the patient um, or maybe someone else, uh, you know, related to the process of, of of health. But most apps we found didn't quite fit that description. And the fifth category of the Mars is an optional one. So we decided. In order to get the most uh, consistent data, we're going to leave that one out. Yeah. Okay. That 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 sounds like a useful approach, actually, doesn't it? In terms of that tool as well, and looking at the different domains. Uh, and I think um, what you found in that article was there was certainly some of the uh, some of the apps were stronger in certain um, dimensions or functionality components. I think um, to instruct and to inform were the two sort of domains that really came up quite high in terms of the the key attributes of these apps. Is that is that correct interpretation? Have you got any thoughts on that? Yes, it is. Um, uh, apps are are still uh, they're used for quite some time now, uh, but in the healthcare setting, in the e-health, they're still quite new. And, um, well, the first thing medical professionals will think about is just to inform. So when we talk with colleagues, when we're um, uh, trying to implement uh, intervention on a hospital ward, the first thing they compare it to is just uh, an information leaflet, a brochure. So uh, with just static information, the good thing about apps is you can, uh, you can, it's interactive. And so you can engage uh, users via gamification or via uh, graphics, uh, via uh, questions and and responses, which also leads to the other domains, which give a better interaction and so a more uh, immersed, if you will, experience. So some of those other attributes, you you mentioned those, so things like communication, reminders and collecting information, sharing information. So I guess what you're saying here is that probably a long way to go in terms of how we can improve some of these apps that are currently out there for infection prevention and control 
Yes, what, what we did find was there are some apps which are, uh, are very good, which, uh, uh, for example, the EVS apps, which Ender mentioned, but also um, uh, apps uh, appointing the like symptoms. So there's this app, uh, ADA, which is uh, uh, made to uh, get a uh, sort of diagnosis and explanation, uh, differential diagnosis for, for patients. So it's, it's very, very interesting and cool. It's not really for infection prevention. There are some apps which, which really register movements or, uh, or uh, help in surveillance. Uh, but overall, there is a way to go to get the full package for uh, e-health and infection prevention. Also, most apps are, are aimed at professionals. And uh, it would be interesting to see if, if there would be a shift to uh, uh, engaging also like, like nurses and the patients themselves. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. In fact, you know, I get maybe one of the future directions where it's a lot more co-design perhaps for some of these um some of these apps, uh, depending on the on the need of the app and what the purpose is, uh, of the other apps that you identified, um, were they available for translation in in different languages, or were they generally um, just available in English or other uh, other languages? This is a question from one of our other podcasters, uh, Dr. Deb Friedman, who had interest in this article as well, and so she wanted me to to ask that question of you. Yeah, so we we did the query on on three uh, regions. The, the English UK, the English uh, American, uh, well, which is international, and the Dutch, which is, which is for the Netherlands and Belgium. And actually, the only one we found in the Dutch region was one app from our uh, Public Institute of Health. So uh, the other apps were both in the two English language databases. Uh, we did not query like German or French language databases. We did think about it, but most international literature is English-based. So we thought it most likely there would be a good collection of English language apps. And I think that is what we found. I guess just following on with that international concept, um, what do you see as the international utility of some of these apps? Do you see that they will be able to to work across different countries, or do you think they're going to be have to be quite specific to in individual countries and the and the guidance or education that's provided? Any, any thoughts on that? Well, when you get a good idea, you have you have a good idea. Um, so once you get an app functional, for example, uh, something is developed by the NHS in in the UK and it, and it works properly. It's only a translation away from being uh, applied in different regions. I think the biggest hurdle, uh, aside from the translation, of course, which is its own nuance in and of itself, um, is setting up those bridges between the international medical centers, which are to implement them. Which, uh, for example, uh, we had this application, um, UKHCIBAC. Not sure what it completely stands for. It's uh, an abbreviation. Uh, however, it was, uh, I believe, developed in Pakistan, and it's a um, it's a uh, monitoring app to, to, to monitor hand hygiene in the workplace. And we've seen a lot of those. And that one was actually a pretty good one. It provided a lot of features. It was well designed. It was available, I believe, both in, uh, in the local language and in English. And the thing is that the app has now disappeared from the App Store, which is quite a shame. And I think if it got a little bit more uh, momentum, was picked up by more sensors, then it, it could could easily have sh- shown out the other ones. Uh, but the the thing is, 
it, it from our perspective it was pretty obvious that it was only uh, applied in one medical center and after that it wasn't used anymore and just kind of died off which is really really a shame yeah yeah if, if i can add yeah please do some apps are really great apps which can be used internationally um, for instance uh, hand hygiene apps there are a lot of them uh, which are mostly based on the WHO criteria, which are used, uh, I, I think, uh, virtually everywhere. Other apps, for example, uh, personal protective equipment, uh, there are nuances, uh, regional or national, makes them yeah, not directly usable in, in each country. And uh, as Ender said, so like the apps that really bring over an idea, a concept, these are uh, these are usable uh, in every setting. Excellent. So it depends on uh, whether the guidelines are international. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the and this might actually allude to to one of the questions I had in in the paper. Um, there's a there's a statement that says um, that there's a complex interplay in the healthcare. Uh, organizations uh, causing the risk of infection and i guess that's what you're sort of alluding to that this is potential limitation of apps um, in, in terms of the complexities of individual healthcare organizations what their policies and practices might might be perhaps an opportunity but also a limitation is that what you were referring to in in in, in the paper well um it's it's complex. You can you can interpret that answer in various ways. But uh, what what we meant is, um, well, to to get to a healthcare associated infection, there are certain steps. Uh, so if you, uh, for instance, take uh, device related infections, well, a device needs to be placed. Mostly, it needs to stay in in situ uh, for a longer time. There needs to be uh, contamination or improper care. And no one has to signal it. So uh, patients, nurses, uh, doctors. So it's it's so multifactorial uh, on so many levels. Uh, you have to have policy. You have to have training. Uh, you have to have uh, proper hygiene to to prevent it. And uh, training and education is one factor in it. If you just train the nurses, it it won't. Uh, solve the, the total problem. So you need to create awareness on on all levels, mm-hmm. and uh, train all yeah all involved. So I think not only the the doctors, nurses, but maybe also um, the cleaning staff and and uh, the patients themselves, which is an interesting um, trend, mm-hmm. and uh, and also the policymakers to to get uh, funding and and uh, resources uh, available for training so mm. uh, that's uh, a couple of explanations of that uh, complex situation yeah no that that that's certainly true isn't it i mean preventing infections is multifactorial and uh, education and training being one one element of that uh, and i guess that leads nicely perhaps onto to a final question that i had and and that was where to from now i mean the the world is your oyster in this um, area it would seem so have you got any um any ideas planned or anything you want to share or what do you see as the the opportunities or challenges to come or 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 in in this space um well one thing that might be interesting to pursue uh, i personally don't have any plans for that yet is uh one of our findings was that uh, of all the domains in the mars most apps scored relatively low on engagement so you can have an app which ticks all the boxes. It's, it, it has proper, uh, well-written information. Uh, it looks nice. Um, it has all the functions that you need from it. And still it is not able to either 
gain the attention of a user or to maintain and grasp it uh, in such a way that people keep using the app and it can achieve its goal. So there's still between the developer and the user is some sort of um, distance which still needs to be bridged. Um, and I personally think, and this is pure gesture, of course, this is something that might be interesting to explore, is if an app is developed with the user in mind, you know, maybe you can implement user focus groups or maybe you can get some some, some ideas directly from the workflow where, the, where, where, where there's still, you know, some ground to be gained. You might, from the get-go, uh, develop an app that can cross that bridge easier. Uh, but the thing is, there is still a little, just this little lit- literature that uh, expands on how you could do that. Um, and I think there's a lot, of, lot to be gained there. Mm. I guess the evaluation of, of apps is, is a, a tricky one. If you're trying to get money for a grant, it's one thing to develop something, but it's, just, it's another to say, does it actually work or does it have an impact on... Absolutely. Change of practice, yeah. Mm. And for those interested, I can suggest some further reading because this is a book by Jeremy Gibson, uh, mm-hmm. and I suggest reading the first half of the book. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a book on game design. The first half goes into the idea behind games and how game design itself actually do, it doesn't take a technical mind to do so. Uh, the first chapter uh, stimulates the user to think of like five or six games with the same pack of cards. Mm-hmm. So if you translate that to the Mars, you know, um, just don't think about the aesthetics. Don't think about the information or the book or anything like that. Like that. Just think of the rules to a game, mm-hmm. prototype it, and make five or six prototypes. Test them out. See what works. Mm-hmm. Does it work? Make a set of new ones. Keep working on that until you find an idea that works first before you start investing in aesthetics, in functionality. You know, if information, if the information domain were translated to this example, you would think of the information booklet of a board game, for example. Mm-hmm. Discard all those ideas until you have a good idea for for a game or an infection prevention app, that sort of stuff. Mm. And I think that's maybe an approach that may be impl- implemented more in the development of applications of this kind. And I reckon there's probably a lot of people out there um, listening to this, you know, right across the world who are delivering education and training who have got some great ideas about um, what what could um, fit the bill, I guess, in terms of a potential app or a potential game to, to help with that education and training component. Um, so that's a great suggestion, and we might put the details of that book on the, on our um, website as well, so people can uh, find that if they want to. Um, and what about you, Robert? Uh, any uh, we seem to have Ender. Oh, I say we, but um, we as the infection control community maybe have hooked Ender in. Um, but uh, what about yourself? What, any any thoughts from you about where this could head? Or yeah, well, um, now in the uh, COVID uh, pandemic, we see uh, also a new domain of, of e-health evolving. So all the uh, COVID symptom uh, trackers, uh, the, the Bluetooth enabled apps, which um, signal if you've been into contact with somebody in France, there's a lot of apps being involved uh, with the vaccination process. So uh, I think this is a trend uh, sort of like uh, websites in the 90s, uh, which is just uh, inevitable, which will help us uh, to more directly engage all, all parties involved, uh, so from the policymakers and physicians to nurses, and uh, I hope even patients. So patient participation, uh, you see in, in the Netherlands and in Western Europe, uh, a trend of uh, shorter stays in the hospital and more uh, outpatient care. I think it's a worldwide trend. And 
patients are more in charge of their uh, healthcare treatments, and uh, they probably will be more engaged in, in their infection prevention and control as well. So let's make it, yeah, uh, the engagement with good information, good backgrounds, uh, with information they can understand, because that's still a challenge huh? to get the information across at a reasonable level. Yeah, great point and probably a great way to end this podcast. So, look, Robert and Ender, thank you for um, your time uh, for this podcast. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you for having us. Um, Absolute pleasure. Um, Good luck with the rest of the the work that proceeds from this. I hope to see more of this in in coming months and years ahead. And to everyone online, thanks again for listening um, to our podcast. And it's bye from me.